Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. J. Pierce for creating and performing our music. Good evening and welcome to Thorn and Cross Haunted Nights Live. We're your hosts, Alistair Cross and Tamara Thorne. Thank you for joining us. Uh, tonight we'd like to tell you a little about a little about the entry in the about the entry in the Ravencrest saga. It has everything you need for Halloween. Ghosts, demons, priests, it's all here. Here's Tamara to tell you more. Yes, our, our latest publication is Ravencrest Saga Exorcism. In a remote part of California, Ravencrest Manor, imported stone by stone from England more than two centuries ago, looms tall and terrifying. And don't mind that noise that the cat's throwing up in the background. Um, it looms <laughs> tall and terrifying, gathering <laughs> its dark. And then, all the way from the top of the entertainment center to the floor. Uh, let's try this again. Imported stone by stone from England more than two centuries ago looms tall and terrifying, gathering its dark and unnatural powers and drawing those it wants as its own. In Exorcism, book three of the Ravencrest saga, something evil is stirring in the deep, dark waters of the estate's indoor pool as ghostly jazz age parties fill the air with phantom music. Within the mansion, a maid is visited regularly by a demon lover. And governess Belinda Moreland is haunted by the tormented spirit of Violet LeBlanc, a silent movie star who was driven mad in her prime and wants Belinda to help her, help her in her secret search for justice. The Ravencrest Saga series is first released in serialized installments, and uh, they're all available for exorcism as a full novel right now. Our next one, Shadowland, is currently being released in installments, and we will be releasing another one next week. All right, yes, Alistair. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. <laughs> we are kicking butt on Ravencrest, and if you need to brush we up are. on the Spectre scandals and sinister goings-on at Ravencrest, you can get the first two complete novels, the first three complete novels, The Ghost of Ravencrest, <laughs> The Witches of Ravencrest, and, of course, The Ravencrest Saga Exorcism in paperback or ebook at Amazon. Yeah, that's right. Okay, you can learn... 
You can learn more about what we do at our websites, alistaircross.com and tamathorn.com. You can visit our mutual blog at thornandcross.wordpress.com. If you tweet, our handles are at crossalister and at tamathorn. You can visit our Haunted Nights Live page on Facebook, or you can find us on Instagram at at thornandcross or at official underscore alistaircross. For more information on the show, you can visit Authors on the Air on Facebook, Twitter, and at AuthorsOnTheAir.com. Thorn and Cross Haunted Nights Live is a broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, LLC. All right, now on to the better stuff, the fun stuff, the good stuff. We And mm-hmm. we have got good stuff because we have a great guest, you guys. Tonight, we yeah. are talking to Robert Masello. He is an award-winning journalist, television writer, and the best-selling author of many books, his, he, his produced television credits have aired on networks ranging from CBS to Showtime, Fox to Sci-Fi, and include such popular shows as Charmed, Sliders, Poltergeist the Legacy, and Early Edition. His latest novel, The Haunting of H.G. Wells, is available now, and so we're going to be talking about that, among other things. Welcome to the show, Robert. Mm-hmm. How are you? Welcome. I am fine. Thank you very much for having me on. Ah, we love having you. You are welcome. We I love your do. Books too. I have built my whole we week do. around this. My month. <laughs> There's <laughs> nothing to do these days, you know. <laughs> it's not my that exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be. Maybe it really is now that no one can do anything else. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> All right. Yes, we 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 have uh, we are fans of your work. We we are fans we of are. you personally and of your work. And we this latest, the haunting of H.G. Wells. Um, first of all, let's start at the very 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 beginning. I love the cover. I always have to tell mm-hmm. people when I love their covers. So I got to tell you, I love the cover. I'd pick it up based on that it's by gorgeous. itself. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, actually, and I must say, the publisher in this case, and you guys as often published authors yourselves know that, you know, getting that cover right is always a challenge. And in this mm-hmm. case, a lot of different covers and they actually, believe it or not, they actually listened to me when I kept saying, I think we want <laughs> nice. that. And, and so I, yeah, I, for uh, once I'm actually happy with my title and my cover. It's nice. gorgeous. Nice. Yeah. So now what can you tell us, uh, without giving too much away, what can you tell us about the book itself? What is it about? Well, it's about H.G. Wells during the First World War. It's set in 1914 and 1915, chiefly. And it it really, uh, the inspiration came from a a story called The Bowman, uh, which was published Uh by and written by Arthur Machen. And he was Uh a mystery and a Welsh writer in his own day. And he wrote a story um, because the English were being routed by the German forces um, in Belgium and in France. And it was so dispiriting that he wrote this story that was meant to be published in a newspaper as fiction. But in point of fact, it wound up being published in the news hole instead of as fiction. And so the British public reacted to it because in the story – the British soldiers are rescued by a brigade of angels led by St. George. And the English public that read it as news that Uh, that heaven was on their side and that angels would intervene. And even though Arthur Arthur Machen later kept saying, no, no, it was a short story. It's fiction. I made it up to bolster everybody's. (laughs) Nobody wanted to hear that. So in the English, every pulpit in England was broadcasting this. 
to advocate and to prove that the angels in heaven were on the side of the British forces. Um, what they ended up doing is, I mean, they wanted, Winston Churchill wanted to back it, other people did. And in the book, in my book, H.G. Wells is sent to the Western Front to confirm it and to also get other stories and to write reports from the front about the British troops in order to lift their morale and to lift the morale of the citizenry back in England. So that was kind of the inspiration for the book. Very cool. Nice. Wow. Very Wells cool. has a yeah. habit of writing things that people believe. I mean, maybe it's <laughs> thanks to Orson Welles, too, but, you know, that's very cool. I love his work anyway, and I had no idea they'd believe the Band of Angels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Know, and, right? um, interesting. Yeah. And, and, and in, in my book, when, when Wells goes to the Western Front, he doesn't actually see angels, but he encounters some other very strange denizens of the battlefront. And again, this is based on mm-hmm. real history, which was, you know, of course, we know about the trench warfare in the First World War and the, mm-hmm. and the fact that, you know, I mean, my, I'm not kidding. I mean, 60,000 men could die in a single day just simply wow. fighting over a few hundred yards of mud. It was insane. Uh, and, right, and a lot right. of it, you know, deserted. Um, well, they wanted to desert, but unlike in any war, other war, you couldn't do it very effectively. If you were fighting in the Battle of Agincourt, if you were fighting in the Battle uh-huh. of Waterloo, you know, you know what? You could walk over a hill and lie down under a tree and and relax for a little while or even try to run away. But in the First uh-huh. World War, you could not do that because the lines extended from, you know, Switzerland all the way through Belgium and France. If you if you tried to run away, you would be caught as a deserter and shot. And if you were told to go uh, over the top, over the trenches, into the no man's land, you'd be shot by the enemy. There was absolutely wow, no. Man. It was it was an absolutely terrifying hellscape for four years there. Wow! I, now you have a lot of your war. books. Yeah. Oh yeah, and a lot of your books are are you know really rich with history. Uh, and this one is no exception. What, how do you go about your, because see, I think for some people, research, especially into history and stuff like that, just kind of comes, you know, really naturally. It's just something that you're, you really love. And I, I get the feeling, I could be wrong, I get the feeling that that's true about you. I also oh, think, I though, think so. that for other people, you really have to set time aside and really work at it. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, how do you do your research? Um, what's your process? Well, I, I am one of the people who always did read history, and I always loved it, um, mm-hmm. even though sometimes I mess around with it a bit for my novels. Um, but not much, actually. I always say that about 90% of the history that you read in my books is accurate. Um, but I always tell kids, don't write your term paper based on what you read in one of my books, because it could be the <laughs> right. 5 or 10% where I had to compress things like a chronology or move mm-hmm. something a little bit to one side, but by and large, I, I stick to the historical record. And the great thing about it is the history is always more interesting and more bizarre than anything I could have made up. Um, right. When I wrote books in the, you know, back in the 80s and the 90s, which is giving away my age, but I was only in grade school then, you understand. <laughs> it, was, it was hard. I would have to go to the New York <laughs> Public Library and you'd have to check out books and request books and Xerox pages, and it was it was very time-consuming. 
But of course, as you guys know, I mean, now it's just astonishing. I can write so much more easily because if I need to check anything, you mm-hmm. know, Google has made it possible at three o'clock in the morning to check yeah, out right. what <laughs> cavalry officer would carry. What would it look like? What would it weigh? Um, and you can tap into this vast network of other people who are experts and aficionados about anything from you know the First World War to Jane Austen and communicate yeah. with them in the middle of the night. Um, it's wonderful. Right. It is wonderful and it's remarkable. And I do have friends who have written you know other history books or tried to, or history-based, I should say. Um, and the problem is you have to at some point know when to draw the line and stop because you can get yeah. lost research and never emerge again. I know people like that. Right. Yeah, it's always a temptation. Yeah, Yeah, when I'm doing a book like... We pull each other out frequently. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, you have to because it's a never-ending process. You could always find another source to check and another interesting thing which sends you off on another tangent or in another direction. Um, I find that, you know, usually if I'm doing a book like this one about H.G. Wells... I pick out a couple of the most authoritative sounding biographies. I read those, and this book is largely about his relationship with the English journalist and suffragette Rebecca West. Then I'll read a couple of books about her, a couple of books about H.G. Wells, certainly a couple of books about the First World War. Then I kind of have to start writing. I mean, I've spent a few months doing that. And then you have to go, you know what? I'll never know all of it. I just got to get most of it right. Yeah. I, I so was surprised to find out Rebecca West was real. Oh, we're, we're talking over each other. No, that's okay. I was surprised Rebecca West was real. I did not know that. Yeah, Rebecca West is, is one of my heroines, um, not only in the book yeah. but in life. Um, she's an, she was an amazing writer. She started out when she was like 19, 20 years old. She was instrumental in the suffragette movement in England. She was one of the first writers for magazines like Free Woman Magazine, which is in the book and is real. Um, mm-hmm. She wrote about, um, you know, communist dictatorships. She wrote about the history of Western Europe, about political upheavals for many years. She didn't, uh, I mean, she was interviewed by William F. Buckley. She lived to a ripe old age. Wow. Um, and she did indeed have this passionate affair with H.G. Wells when she was 1920 and he was 49 years old. Um, wow. And they actually had a son, Anthony West, who went on to prominence. Um, wow. But um, so all of that stuff in the book is actually factual and historical. Um, and they did indeed <laughs> call each mm-hmm. other respectively Panther uh-huh. and Jaguar. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> Jaguar. And their letters, which are extant, um, are uh-huh. unbelievable. I mean,. <laughs> They had a very torrid affair, and um, and H.G. Wells was also famous at the time, not only for his sci-fi novels like The Time Machine and The War of the Worlds uh-huh. and The Invisible Man, but also he was um, a passionate advocate of free love and of women's rights and of the women's right to vote. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, in his day, the most famous English writer, and, and as such, we have to remember that it, it's kind of like being the equivalent of a rock star today. Wow. H.G. Wells was a major yeah. celebrity, and wherever he went, um, let's face it, young women were throwing themselves at him. He got into a lot of predicaments that way. The free love <laughs> part. 
Um, does I'm really enjoying Jane, his wife. So she she was fine with that, right? That's yes, yes, she was. She was cognizant wow. of his facades. I mean, uh-huh. as I tried to indicate in the book, I think you know she's human. I'm not sure that she was altogether crazy about the notion. Um, uh-huh. He had divorced his first wife because of an affair with her. Um, oh. And she understood or at least came to understand that this is something he was going to do. In fact, she kind of vetted his affairs. I mean, he was having a couple with women of, you know, who were older and more substantial and settled, uh-huh. and those mm-hmm. were easier for her to deal with. I think she always was, and I hope I indicated this to some extent in the book. You know, she was threatened a little bit, of course, by Rebecca West, because Rebecca West was so young, so talented, and so beautiful. Um, that, you know, she always had to worry, was he going to become so passionately involved that he would leave her? But his relationship with with Jane was kind of different. It really was, they were solid and they were um, just devoted partners. And he relied upon her for so much, everything from, you know, proofreading uh-huh. his scripts and helping him with his ideas, but to providing a, a solid home life for him to return to, which he did need. Yeah, it sounds like it. He's a very interesting man. Boy, what a lot of energy to do all that. Oh, know, right? <laughs> he's a busy guy. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, you know, I, I, I can't remember offhand, but there are dozens and dozens of novels that you've never even heard of that he wrote that were simply about the social mores of the time and that were about you know, the the political scene in England or about the home front during the war, they were not the sci-fi novels that made him famous, you know, before the turn of the century. They were books he wrote, you know, in the, in the 1920s, the 1930s. So he went on and on um, until, he, wow. until he died in right. 1946. Wow, right. that's amazing. So. Yeah, he, he's almost as prolific yeah. as you two. <laughs> Almost, oh, but, he's, but he lives on, and, and we go around scratching and giggling. So, yeah. yes. So, live on. Well, what would you? There's, there's. Um, I'm always curious to know because uh, there are always good as the writer. There are always really uh, smooth parts that are just you know you fly right through it and it's fun and it's easy, and then there are the parts that you just you kind of hit the brick wall and you just, or for whatever reason, have a really hard time with what were some good and hard, difficult areas in this book for you as the writer? Uh, Jesus, good question. I mean, the, the good and interesting parts for me were things that I was interested in writing about from the get go. And that included uh-huh. the Arthur Machen story and what happened in England and also describing the trench warfare and the fact that, uh, some of the soldiers from both sides actually deserted and, and united, as is in the book, um, wow. under no man's land in the secret tunnels that had been built. That was something that I was interested uh-huh. in. I'd read about years ago, and I wanted to write. It was when I got uh-huh. back to London and had to do the plot having to do with um, sabotage and German saboteurs. And all of that, also, by the way, is also based on his, mm-hmm. his um, that I was – finding it, you know, harder um, just because I want to get everything right and you know that you're going to hear from readers. I'm not going to hear from readers about necessarily what went on in the trenches in Belgium 
because nobody was around for that that's still alive anymore. But I am going to hear if I get anything wrong, like a street right. in <laughs> London that goes the wrong way or putting the cathedral on the wrong side of the street um, and making sure right. that London felt real because I've been to London, but, you know, not for many, many years. And I've only been there for short times when I was there as a tourist. Uh-huh. Um you know, I, I had hoped to go over again and and spend some serious time there before writing this book, but I didn't have a chance. Um, so those those were the hard parts, and and also, um, and uh, Tamara, I know that you will agree with me on this. I mean, I am an animal lover, um, and yes. a lot of this book revolves around atrocities that were committed against animals and livestock oh. in the World War, and ah. researching that and finding that was horrifying to me and and very hard oh. to write about but it's it's yeah. a chapter of that war that was important because those armies on both sides relied upon pack animals mules donkeys horses uh-huh. and um, so that was a spot to attack the enemy on by depriving them of their livestock um ah uh, so we're so talking about was, livestock a, not say hard to write you're not t- I don't read anything that has cat horror in it. Is there any cat problem in there? No, the, the, cats, tell me. the cats are spared in this. And even having okay, to do with, with the uh, with the livestock, I, I, I did it just enough so that you knew what was going on. But uh, both oh. sides were involved in it, but the Germans were um, very far in advance of this and uh, had been developing ways to destroy the uh, – the Allied forces by going at them in this in this way. Wow, that's horrible. Um, yeah, um, it, yeah it, it, no, it, seriously. Yeah, speaking of cats, oh, speaking of cats, though, I love the scene where Wells goes to Arthur Machen's apartment. The descriptions were just hysterical and gross, and I loved them. And yeah, uh, I mean, you know, it made me want to read about him. <laughs> and um, yeah, he was Crowley a very showing up. Yeah. <laughs> lived a long life, and uh, he, uh-huh. he wrote a lot of um, occult stories and and uh, the and great fiction. God man, yeah, yes, yes, the great I God think man. Our listeners would recognize that, yes, yes, and he was right. he was very popular in his day, but he's kind of been forgotten for the most part, except by people mm-hmm. like you guys and me, and and probably people listening to this show. Yeah, yeah, we all know who he is. And he was a cat lover. I, I loved his cats and the and the homes or homes, not homes. He's not real. Wells um, <laughs> was a cat fancier as well. <laughs> yeah. I say homes. What kind of? Ch- and of course, we've got Alistair. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, that was fun. <laughs> I Probably really would enjoyed have that. You know, yeah. to your your listeners and audience. Um, mm-hmm. And I actually had to. Um, you know, it was shocking to my editor some of the stuff about Aleister Crowley, and I said, "Listen, I soft pedaled a lot of that." I mean, <laughs> yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I used yeah, I used him a bit in my recent, most recent solo. Mostly, my guy wanted to be just like him, but <laughs> it was it, he. Crowley's yeah. an interesting character. That was whoa when I saw him showing up there. Don't touch his cat. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. <laughs> this, this book is so well put his- together. Mm-hmm. And about his being the Earl of Boleskin. Um uh, you know, that's all true. I mean he did have, you know, uh-huh. costume trunks of wardrobes that he would wear 
um, for his black magic rituals, which uh-huh. uh, I got to say, in most cases involved um, <laughs> involved him practicing some kind of sex magic on one of his willing disciples. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think how many of the rituals involved somebody getting naked for him and him doing unspeakable things. <laughs> Oh, I could make so many political jokes right now, but I won't make any. Um, <laughs> I love this. And Wells, since I was a kid, I've loved him. And it's so much fun to read about him in depth. And your research is just impeccable. It always is. I've known you for – we've known each other since we were sort of young. Um, <laughs> so. Young at heart. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Immature. Yes, immature. We were. I'm still immature. I don't know about you, but um, (laughs) yeah. So H.G. Wells. I had no idea he wrote that. uh, What was it called? Marriages. Yes. Um, Yes. Yeah, that surprised me. Um, because I hadn't ever thought beyond the science fiction and the historical. I think I have one of his history nonfiction books here, but. He wrote really a lot like of that. novels that were were pretty much, um, you know, social commentary um, about you know political and social issues of the day. He was a member of the Fabian Society until he got thrown out. Um, <laughs> and he came from, uh, and I think this is maybe alluded to in the book. I don't know how much, but um, you know, he came from an impoverished background. His his father ran kind of a sporting goods and notions shop that never made a profit in a small town. Uh-huh. And his his mother was in service at a big house, which is where wow. Wells had access to the library of the, the big house. It was called Uppark, U-P-P-A-R-K. Um, right. And interestingly enough, and again, I, I think I put this in the book, but Uppark, the estate where his mother worked and where Wells spent a lot of time as a boy, did have a lot of subterranean tunnels um, where everything from the wine cellar to, you know, passageways for the servants were uh, – uh, employed, um, wow. and that shows up in books like you know uh, the Time Machine, where the Morlocks live. Um, oh yeah, and and he wrote a famous essay called Boots about the shop where all it was kind of like a basement apartment almost, where you could look up through the little window, and all you could see was the boots and the shoes of the people on the high street walking by. That sounds very familiar. Yeah, so oh, he was he was yeah. always yeah. Um, cool. Kind of, uh, he complained about it all throughout his life, and he was a little bit sickly and and spare when he was young because he didn't get wholesome food. I mean, it was uh, oh yeah, yeah, pretty that impoverished. Was interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have that in the book. No, we 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 are just about out of time, but there is uh, one other thing. It's a little bit off subject, but um, we were talking about it before the show. And um, I'm curious about it because it's such a different world now. What with the COVID and all. Um, We were talking before the show a little bit about what, you know, television and, you know, uh, networks and even publishers are, are, you know, looking for right now. You're you're kind of in the know. So can, can we talk really briefly about, about that? What are, what's, what's hot? And if you have anything coming up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been thinking about it because I've been talking to my agent and my manager actually just sent me an email about it. And, um, you know, what they're really looking for um, (laughs) is, Diverse voices, as they call it, um, and uh, they're, they're looking for voices and stories that have to do with social issues today, whether it's Black Lives Matter 
or the Me Too movement. Um, and I don't know if you followed it, but there was a huge bidding war right now on a book, which I haven't read, called Leave the World Behind. Um, everybody from Julia Roberts to Denzel Washington was pursuing it. It's a novel in which uh, an upscale white couple go to a country house that's kind of remote and suddenly all the power goes out and an older black couple oh. appears um, claiming that they're the owners of the house and that they had to leave the city because all the power went out and they had to leave Manhattan because they couldn't get the elevator up to their apartment. Um, it's a kind of apocalyptic story, I guess. I don't know much more about it because I haven't read about it, but I was I haven't read it, but I was just reading about the bidding war that's going on that went on for it. And I think Netflix won. Um, but if you are a writer from a diverse background, um, Hollywood and the publishing houses also are oh. really looking for your stories. I've also been told, and there was an article in the LA Times about this a few days ago, um, about how Hollywood, the studios, and all, of course, the streaming services are buying a lot of books now um, because I guess the executives have had time to sit home and read for a change. Um, uh-huh. Right. <laughs> or contemporary kind of thrillers. Um, ah. And, you know, for me, that would mean changing course a bit because I used to write books like that. And the last, yeah. you know, I don't know, 10 or 12 books I've written have all been period pieces in history, uh, which is not as popular right now, though there are exceptions. Netflix did a movie called Enola Holmes about Sherlock Holmes. Oh, yeah. I haven't, again, I haven't, I haven't had watched it, but, but I do yeah. want to see. So period yeah. history is not dead, but if you have a great contemporary idea um, that isn't so on point, I probably wouldn't write something about this particular pandemic because, again, we hope it's behind us by the time anything you write now would actually be published or produced. Yeah, I uh, hope so. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> I hope. But uh, fingers wow. crossed. All right. And, well, and what know. can you tell us? What can you tell us about what you're working on now? Is what what's coming up from you? You know, I'm never quite sure. I mean, I have an idea for a book. Again, it's history, but it's about some famous figures from the 1930s. Um, one of whom ah. is famous, one of whom has been long forgotten. What I usually mm-hmm. look for is some kind of historical confluence or coincidence that other people might not have noticed. And these two figures, who shall go nameless for the time being, um, might have met under very peculiar circumstances. And I thought, well, what would have happened if they'd met? Um, and uh, so I've been kind of, you know, noodling around with that. I've written a few chapters. But, you know, uh-huh. it's tough. Once you decide nice. that you're going to write one of these history-based books, as I do, you have <laughs> to really be in love with your characters and your subject because you are going to be living with them for the next two years. Right. You know, it's a year of writing right. the book and then a uh-huh. year to editing and get it out you know so right that's yeah exactly big commitment well whatever you yeah, write next, we hope that you will come back and discuss it with us because we mm-hmm. love having you and we um, do yeah thank you i'm i'm looking forward to more from you i've been a fan for years and i mean that that's true mm-hmm. i i've yeah started with true. blood and ice yeah blood and ice is the first one i read so it's it's not you know just a few years back but Made me a lifelong fan. Well, thank you very oh, much. Yeah. Fan of your work, and of course, I have known Tamra forever. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Ever since moving yes. to Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, I think you were yeah. truly one of the first people I met here. At Dark Delicacies, probably. Yeah, 
There was either a dark delicacies or there was also a um a dangerous visions. It could have been dangerous visions. There was also a bookstore in Westwood in those days that Oh yeah. Stuff and I'm not sure I didn't meet you there. That could have been it too. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> we're old. <laughs> in, in the days when there were so many independent bookstores that we could actually, you know, go from one to the next to the next. It was. It was. Wow. Boy. Well, well we we look forward to having you back on. And before we do let you go, mm-hmm. I do want to say congratulations because everywhere yeah. I look, The Haunting of H.G. Wells is selling really, really well. It's at number one all over the place, and I think that's well-deserved. So congratulations on oh, that. Oh, yeah. Thank, yeah. Thank you very much. It has, has done very well. It's selling briskly in the U.K., where, of course, H.G. Wells is even better known. And we have been selling foreign rights right, left, and center. So it's it's doing real well. Nice. Nice, yeah. All right. Well, thank you again for being on, and yeah. uh, we'll be in touch, of course. And, and thank you, thank uh, you for having me. Absolutely, yeah. and to the listeners, thank you for listening. And until next week, we wish you haunted nights and sweet screams. Thank you for listening. Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.